Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. I hope everyone had a good Lord's Day yesterday. Uh, I certainly did. And I was out, actually, from the time I woke up, went to church, uh, had some good fellowship in the afternoon, and came home late in the evening. So uh, it, was a, it was a good day, and uh, the sermon was on the attributes of God, various attributes. Always a good reminder. That's something that uh, we, we can never really forget about, but it's so easy to forget about during the course of life, uh, who God is. And uh, so I, I just uh, want to encourage all of you that that's, that's something that I've been thinking about a little bit and something for you to think about, too, even in the situations we're in now, because I think that was very much a prevalent uh, thought among the people of God as they were hearing this uh, yesterday. There's trials going on. Uh, there's all kinds of things that we don't like. There's, there's bad things. There's evil people. And well, what does this mean about God? Is he still in control? Is he still good? Uh, is, are, are all the attributes that we talk about, his un, the fact that he's unchanging, he's immutable, did, did these go anywhere? Uh, wh- what's his plan? And when we remind ourselves about who he actually is, a lot of those questions tend to dissipate. doesn't mean that they're gone completely. It just means that we understand that we are small, God's big, he understands a lot more than us, and we're just part of this uh, this very interconnected, uh, interwoven plan that God has, and, and we can see our little thread, but we don't see how that connects to, uh, to, to everything else. So uh, we're, we're part of a big pet tapestry. And so I, I just want to encourage you along those lines this morning. As, as I talk about some various news issues uh, and answer some questions, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is because there's a lot of questions and, and frankly, some objections to my last podcast, which I expected to some extent. I tried to be as crystal clear as I could and let you know also that I was asking questions uh, too in the last podcast. I don't have everything figured out, but uh, there, there's a, a big um, aversion to even the term race. If someone says race in conservative Christian circles, even the use of that term, we immediately have, I think, in our heads, either a Darwinist file or a critical race theory file, and there's just, there's an aversion to it. So I wanna talk about that a little bit because uh, when we interact with people in the world, especially, they are used to using this term and they mean something by it. And even if you don't think, some of you, I'm not saying for everyone, but even if you don't think this is a valid term, we shouldn't use it, I get that. And I I don't even use the term. I use the word people. I I think I said that in the last podcast. I don't say race. I say people generally. Uh, Just because I I, I try to avoid confusion. But the people in the world are using that term. So, and they mean something by it. And we need to know what they're talking about in order to interact with them sometimes on these issues. And, And I believe preach the gospel. Yes, that's, but that's not the only interaction that we have with people in the world. They're going to have objections. One of them today against even Christianity and the Bible and the history of the church is that uh, it, it gets the issue of race all wrong and that it's been used to forward all kinds of oppression. And, and so we, we have to understand something about that in order to give an answer for those who ask us about the hope within us. So uh, I'm going to get into those objections a little bit today, and again, uh, I, I actually appreciate it. I, I invited people to, to reach out to me, send me resources they think would help. Uh, I think one person did send me a, a, a book suggest, suggestion by Ken Ham, which I do appreciate. I am pretty much 
uh, pretty familiar with Ken Ham. I grew up actually in a house where we had Creation Magazine uh, every week and uh, or every time it came out. We I've been to the Creation Museum a number of times. I've actually spoken to Ken Ham personally. It was it was actually it's an interesting story. I was at a conference. This is probably like 12 or 13 years ago now. I, I I would guess maybe yeah something like that. And it was a deeper conference. So I was in uh, Covington, Kentucky, and. Ken Ham's sitting there by the Answers in Genesis booth, and no one's talking to him. There's a whole room full of people, and uh, I just thought that was interesting. So I went up, and I talked to him, and we had a great conversation, and I really appreciate what he does, his ministry. I encourage everyone to go out to the Creation Museum and the Ark. There's there's so much truth, and it's just amazing what they've done out there, too. Uh, I remember last time I was at the Ark Encounter, we were in line, and the people behind us were not Christians at all. They just came out to see this big ark. And in the process, they were exposed to good teaching and they were exposed to the gospel. And that is, I think, the heart of what Ken Ham is trying to do, which I very much appreciate. But um, but I'll talk about that a little bit, uh, the way that he objects to the usage of the term race or uh, how he conceives of it, because he's very much responding to Darwinists. And it's not the same as responding to critical race theorists. And so I'll explain that a little bit. I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail. I don't want to reinvent the wheel because I talked about some of this in the last video. But I, I do want to talk about the objections and the questions. So uh, let's get into uh, some of the the news items for today. Uh, some, some things in my inbox. Uh, I don't always share these on the podcast, but I thought today there's just a whole bunch of stories. And I thought, you know what, we'll just go through them. I know some of you like being updated on this stuff. So uh, someone sent me today, this is uh, January 24th, episode 1735 of Desiring God, John Piper's uh, podcast, I guess. And the question is, did Bathsheba sin with David? So they have this whole podcast. Now the word rape comes up immediately. And uh, was this a rape? And that seems to be the central question. And that's the, I did a whole podcast, by the way, on this called King David, a rapist, question mark. And then I go into some other stuff. I used to do a lot of, actually, I used to do podcasts very much like this one, where I would combine a bunch of topics into one. And uh, I don't do that as much anymore. I try to keep it to one or two topics. But I did a whole thing on King David, uh, was he a rapist? And uh, this was in response to Rachel Den Hollander. There was a whole thing on Twitter about it, and she was correcting someone. And I got into the original languages. Uh, I, I gave you as much as I possibly could the biblical history, and <clears throat> the the long and short of it is, uh, no, it doesn't look like uh, David raped Bathsheba. And the only reason someone would I think have to say that is. And I, this is what I said at the time, is that you, you must be influenced by the Me Too movement in some way. Because it's the main argument used is, well, because there was a power disparity. Because there was a power disparity, that must mean that it was, it was a rape. And the, the issue here, there, there's a few things. The, the Hebrew word used to refer to what we would think of today as rape, and by the way, today, we're going to find this later in our discussion, but... Uh, words in English and concepts in English, we have to do a lot of hard work to go back to <clears throat> biblical languages and then figure out, okay, what's the closest approximate in the biblical language? And the closest approximate, the Hebrew word that was, would be used for rape, is not used here. Uh, you also find an example later on in the same book uh, of, uh, of an actual rape that takes place, and it's very clear. 
it's not clear in the story of David and Bathsheba. Now, does that mean that there wasn't a lot of pressure on Bathsheba? This is the king. Uh, this, you know, is something that you must do. You know, no doubt about it. But we just don't, we simply don't have the evidence. And it seems actually the opposite. It seems that the, you really can't make the case based on the words used uh, that, that that's what this was. Um, there's no indication Bathsheba was uh, you know, tr- make, making an outcry about any of this. Hebrew law is very clear on uh, the difference between uh, this kind of a situation happening in the city and in the country. And um, a, a, an audible objection is very important to uh, what the Hebrew law and, and the Mosaic Code. So uh, we're not going into the whole thing, but I, I just thought it was interesting that John Piper's taking this line more now and uh, using essentially, you know, basically the same kind of, I mean, here's the, the quote that Desiring God chose to put in the foreground of their article. We are not exaggerating to use the word rape for David's abuse of his power in the way he took Bathsheba. And, and, and so it, it still seems to be based on there is a power disparity there. And because there was a power disparity there, uh, that's, that's the main reason to look at this in that way. So, um, so I just uh, that's interesting. John Piper kind of, you know, what's causing him to uh, think it's important to interpret the text this way? That's the real question. Why is it important that we see it as a a rape situation? And I, I think I think we know the answer to that um, <clears throat> because of the the cultural pressures that exist today. And the way the Church 2 movement has in the past tried to really use this passage. I mean, think about it this way. <clears throat> Does the Church 2, Me Too movement, do they ever use the story of Lot and his daughters as a rape situation passage? Look what his daughters did to him. No, no, that's, there's no pressure there to use that. Uh, that, that of course that's not, because it's, it's women. And it, But, I mean... Look, they took advantage of their dad when he was inebriated. So I just find it interesting the passages that are uh, cherry-picked to forward this narrative that will event drive kind of this church to me to caring well type uh, narrative. So that was uh, this morning. And uh, yeah, uh, well, I, I, you know, I, at one time I would have thought that Pastor John Piper wouldn't go down that path, but there's been a number of things like this, unfortunately, and so if you want to know more about that, uh, I'm not giving you everything on you know that, that whole biblical passage, but I do give a lot of information in King David, a rapist, question mark, uh, from October 8th, 2019. You can go to that podcast. Uh, and then, of course, I saw this, and I was like, oh, wow, the Chinese military, next wonder, weapon, laser guns. All right, so this is from 2021. And then there's a story, though, that came out just recently uh, that I saw on Facebook. I, I don't have the particular story that I saw this morning pulled up, but it, it's basically the same thing that shows the capabilities of these new laser guns that they have. They're pretty insane. Uh, from a half a mile away, they can, in silence, burn something up. It's it's amazing what they're capable of doing. And this is this is the future of warfare. I mean, we're getting sci-fi here, right? But it's being compared to the AK-47, it's, uh, and again, silent and deadly and accurate. Uh, scary stuff. And, and it, you know, I think it was scary probably for the people who first saw, you know, saw that 
pipes were using were, were being used with gunpowder to uh, project things. Uh, so you know, there's always a development. There's always something scary. But the fact that it's the uh, Chinese, that the Chinese Communist Party is developing this weapon, and uh, interesting, interesting. Uh, uh, there's a lot I've learned about China in the last year that makes me really realize that we we could be in we we are in serious trouble. And in the next decade, I think. Uh, I, I can't see how we don't have a war. We're already in in a state of cyber war with them, an economic war, and I think Trump was one of the few who recognized this. But it could get to a real war. Either that, or we just keep fading from the scene. They invade Taiwan, we retreat, we don't do anything, and we keep just fading. I don't know. Uh, and then we have, um, um, you know what? Actually, in between this, I didn't have the tab pulled up, but uh, I thought it was interesting. I'll. I'll talk about this for just a second, even though I don't have the tab. Uh, pay attention to this. Evangelicals are starting to mimic the talking points of neoconservatives and progressives who are very concerned with Russia's threats against Ukraine. And the re there's a few reasons I feel like this is very interesting, but it's some of the same people who are very much on the social justice train in evangelicalism, whatever, you know, what that means in evangelicalism, very much for kind of an open borders, um, evangelical Im immigration table stuff, that kind of thing. But, you know, they want to secure borders in Ukraine. And I just find that very interesting. U Ukraine's borders cannot be violated. They are a distinct people. And the Russians shouldn't come in. But on on the border of the United States, they think that, you know, that, that shouldn't be the same. We shouldn't have the same kind of... Now, I, I realize, too, there's a war situation that's a little, you know, more pressing in some ways in some ways, okay, not in every way, but in some ways in Ukraine. But, you know, we have, uh, we have a, a very interesting situation too because we have thousands and thousands of unvetted people coming in our southern border and who knows who these people are. They could be uh, even, you know, spies from other countries and stuff. So I just find it just interesting to me to find out that borders mean something and popular sovereignty means something when it comes to other places, but not to the United States as much. So uh, another story here, uh, let's talk about this. The Aquila Report put this out. Conservatives split from Reformed churches in America over LGBTQ issues. January 10th, 2022, this came out. So this is a little over a week old, but uh, let's see here. It's actually two weeks old. Um, 43 congregations of the Reformed Church in America split from the national denomination, one of the oldest Protestant bodies in the United States, in part over theological differences regarding same-sex marriage and the ordination of LGBTQ clergy. The departure of the theologically conservative congregations to the new group, the Alliance of Reformed Churches, leaves some who remain in the Reformed Church in America concerned for the denomination's survival. Before the split, the nearly 400-year-old denomination had fewer than 200,000 members and 1,000 churches. At least 125 churches from various denominations are in conversations with the Alliance of Reformed Churches leaders about joining. Realistically, it's a large group of conservative churches that are also providing a lot of income to the denomination. All right, so they're having, what's happening in all the denominations is pretty much the same. It's over some kind of a social justice fault line to take Vody Bauckham's uh, uh, very helpful analogy. There's, in, in the Southern Baptist Convention, critical race theory seems to be the main fault line. I know a lot of conservatives really want to make it so badly they want to make it about complementarianism. It's really about critical race theory though right now. Uh, in 
the PCA, it's revoice theology primarily in in the um, Reformed Church in America, the RCA, it's over LGBTQ issues. They're a little further down the path, it looks like. And uh, and so, um, yeah, just interesting. It goes on and explains more about the ins and outs of this. So more fracturing. My prediction is you're going to have more and more fracturing. Denominations are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller, unfortunately. And even the conservative denominations are going to keep splitting from from each other. And I have a podcast coming later this week trying to explain, to the best of my ability, why this might be happening. Why is it that political conservatives and uh, orthodox conservatives in churches, Christians, tend to build denominations and then they leave them, build another denomination, leave them, and they keep getting taken over by progressives. Why is that? Uh, We keep seeing it happening. And then you have this big story that you've probably already heard about from January 20th. Jordan Peterson resigned as tenured uh, University of Toronto professor, Torpedoes Academia. Uh, I'm not reading this headline very well. Jordan Peterson resigns as tenured University of Toronto professor, Torpedoes Academia, a stunningly corrupt enterprise. And most of you have probably already seen this or heard this, heard commentary, so I'm not going to wax long about it. Uh, It's very uh, damning of the current state of academia, and I agree 100%. This is exactly what academia has become. It's a corrupt enterprise. Uh, He says they all lie. (laughs) Yeah, it seems that way sometimes. Even in Christian academia, I can tell you that it's, it really, to me, Christian academia is also corrupt. And um, I, I've had the privilege of being in some places, like I, I would say the, the history department at Liberty University, where it's a very much an exception to, I think, the general rule. But uh, there's, there's weakness almost everywhere I've seen. In my seminary experience, in, uh, well, I, all, the, all the places I've been, all the, the four different evangelical institutions that I have, uh, or, or three different that I have attended in person, so I'm not not talking about the online stuff, but the three that I've actually been brick and mortar. Yes, the corruption is insane. Uh, you, I'll give I don't I don't want to give go through a lot of examples right now. We're talking about Jordan Peterson, but let me just say that this rings so true to me. Everything he says. Uh, there's a precondition he says to occupy a faculty position. You you have to believe in the social justice stuff. That's what he's saying in order to even be hired. Um, and you know, they're. There, there's only one narrative, and you, if you don't accept it, then you, you can't be in academia. And uh, the, the application to this, the, the thing that I want everyone to think about is the future of academia looks even more grim than it is now. The, the children that from elementary school all the way up to graduate school are being educated right now and indoctrinated in 20 years. What's this country going to look like when you have people that are full-fledged, they believe sex is a social construct, they think that boys can be girls, girls can be boys. Where do, what do we do with that? Where does that take you? Uh, and and the corruption that uh, resides at the top levels of all our institutions uh, makes it so that the men who should be standing up and women are not standing up. They won't stand up against this. They're worried about their retirement. They they don't want to rock the boat too much. They're loyal to their institution. They we shouldn't say anything negative about anyone. And it's the sense of proportion is so off. It's unbelievable. Even with godly men, that I, I would consider godly, it's like they they can't see the big picture and see what's happening at their institutions. And I've been disappointed um, in every place I've been. I've been disappointed to meet some people that I would say are uh, uh, 
have the the right theology mostly they have they understand basically what morality is and what god expects and then when things are happening that they could do something about at their own institution there's such an aversion to doing something and i know part of it is the respect they have for the hierarchy that they're in and but you know the west is on fire the the country that we have now uh, is going to look great compared to the country I think we're going to enter if these things are unchecked. And the only group of people that seem to be able to take somewhat of a stand are the people that don't have the platform to do it at the high levels. It's common people, blue-collar, working-class people mostly. And and they're the people that will hang on to uh, traditional Christian values and the country that we once knew. And uh, so... That, that's kind of what's going on. And I'm, I'm really grateful that Jordan Peterson decided to take a bold stand, to shine a light against this. And he, uh, in some ways, he probably is more financially secure than a lot of professors. He has a big following. He can, he has a platform to be able to get the word out there, but I'm, I'm glad he, he took it. There was a, uh, a high school professor, by the way, high school teacher, I should say, a history teacher. I posted it on my Facebook page, who uh, did something similar recently, exposed his school district for teaching critical race theory. And he said in the video, he goes, I know this is gonna ruin my career. I know they'll come out and destroy me. They're, they're calling me liar. Everything that's been said about me for whistleblowing on a Southern Baptist school is being said about him, that he's a liar, that he's, he's, he's a racist, all this kind of stuff. That's exactly what happens the first two seconds you come out and say anything. And he's like, I don't care. I'm doubling down. I'm gonna give you all the evidence that this school district is corrupt. And guess what that does? It's what it's doing right now. It's riling up the parents. The parents, and, and, and maybe this will create a situation where parents will take back the education of their children from, uh, frankly, who, the people that amount to pagan perverts, most of them. They, they're pagan perverts. They, they don't live in, they, they don't think they live in the world that God created. They want to create their own world. Everything is malleable uh, according to what they want and what their preferences, and, and they are open to all kinds of perversions because of that. And they're the ones teaching your kids, and uh, it shouldn't—it just shouldn't be done anymore. Uh, I'm going to show you at some point. I think uh, I had a friend actually. Actually, maybe I can show you now. Let me see if I can pull it up. A friend shared with uh, this with me. This is a, a local school district that is right near me. Uh, let's see if I can pull it up. And I, I was—you know—you you hear about these news stories sometimes, and you think like, "Well, that's that's a ways away, right? <laughs> like that's not here." Uh, that's that's somewhere else, and um, and and someone sent me this. Let's see if I can pull it up. This uh, homework assignment from here it is. I think this is it. Yeah, let me let me pull this up for you. Here it is. Uh, Noah Alvarenga on Facebook. Uh, posted this, and it's public. It's a public post, and it's from uh, Mrs. O'Mara, who teaches social studies at Walkel Senior High School. And he said, let this be a reminder to you, my fellow Hudson Valley residents, the wicked pagan religion sweeping the nation is not just out there in some fancy college, nor in the cities, nor on their TikToks. It's being fed into them five days a week, eight hours a day. All right, so he's saying this this stuff is, is not just on Fox News or whatever news channel you watch. 
Here's the homework assignment. For the interest of this survey, the word represented refers to, uh, to how often you learn about the described groups and how many individuals from these groups you focus on in your current and past social studies classroom. On a scale of one to five, how well are people of color represented in the subjects of social studies? On a scale of one to five, how well are native peoples represented? On a scale of one to five, how well are women represented? On a scale of one to five, how, what about LGBTQ plus people? Uh, on a scale of one to five, how well are people of mixed ability level? How well are people of so low socioeconomic status? Uh, religions beyond Christianity? There you go. Uh, this is a multicultural education survey given to the students. And then you have to put down your race, racial or ethnicity categories. Do you, which ones do you identify with? And uh, which of the following gender categories do you identify with? <laughs> they put human, which is great. But are you cis female? Are you cis male? Are you non-binary? What, you know, are you trans female? Are you tra This is what elementary school kids are being taught. Elementary school kids. This is in my backyard. This is, these are the kids that even, according to Noah, Christian parents are sending their kids to this school what, what are they learning? You got to check what your kids are learning. So uh, Jordan Peterson says, good for him. Academia is a corrupt enterprise, but it is from the highest levels to the lowest levels, unfortunately. And in that vein, we have Matt Walsh on the Dr. Phil show. Can I show you a clip from this? I'd like to, uh, let, let's listen to this together and then I'll provide some commentary. But here's just a clip from the Dr. Phil show recently with Matt Walsh. I would like to throw out to you know, other members of the panel, actually, because just like the four-year-old can't answer what is a girl, well, this is one of the problems with this left-wing gender ideology, is that no one who espouses it can even tell you what these words mean. It's like, what is a woman? Well, can you tell me what a woman is? No, I can't, because but, it's not for me to say. I, womanhood looks different for everybody. Okay, at this point, the, the debate's over. The debate's over. You can't tell me what a woman is. You're calling yourself a woman even though you're, you're biologically a man, the debate's over. But in the eyes of our current society, it's not. What do you, what do you define a woman as? An adult human female. And what does a female mean? Someone with female reproductive organs. Okay. Someone who's, you know, here's the thing. When you're, when you're female, it goes right down to your bones, your DNA. So that's why if someone dies, okay. we could dig up their bones a hundred years from now. We have no idea what they believed in their head, but we can tell what sex they were okay. because it's in, it's down in, it's, it's ingrained in every fiber of their being. Interesting. So I'm trying to understand. So you're either XX or you're XY. There's, there's no spectrum beyond that. Your definition is that a woman is someone who is female. He's I should say you, you either have a Y chromosome or you don't, because some people are going to point out there's XXY, and so, but you either have a Y chromosome or you don't. Is that right? Correct. Gotcha. Is okay. a biological female. So what happens if we have maybe someone who is female, identifies as a woman, right? You know, cisgender woman, right? As you explained, as you just explained, but maybe doesn't have the ability to reproduce. Maybe doesn't have those organs that you're talking about well, that are reproductive well, organs. Maybe. I have answered the question. You stood up here and said trans women are women. Yes. Tell me what you mean. What is a woman? Womanhood is something that, just as Ethan explained, I cannot define because I am not but myself. But you used well, the well, word. So what did you mean when you said trans women are women if you don't know what it means? Right. 
So here's the thing. So I do not define what a woman is because I do not identify as a woman. Womanhood is something that is an umbrella term. It includes people that who... That describes what? People who identify as a woman. I identify as what? As a woman. What is that? Was to each their own. Okay. Each woman, each man, each person is going to have a different relation with their own gender identity and define it differently. And so I'm trans women are women too. Okay. And you want to you, hold on, hold on. Again, you want to reduce. You, you listen, won't listen. even tell me you what the word reduce, means, though. So you that's the problem. You want to reduce women. You want to reduce men down to maybe just their genetics, our genitals, no. our chromosomes, right? That's what you're what saying. You is that that's a, what you want to do is what you want to do is appropriate women. You want to appropriate womanhood, okay. and turn it into basically a costume that can be worn. And that's okay. a question I would like to throw out. To okay, so this is fascinating to me because of the applause line for one thing. Look who the audience is with. Uh, they're not with Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh won that, hands down. There's no doubt about it. Matt Walsh totally decimated the other side. They can't even define what a woman is. But the applause line is with them. Because a woman can be whatever you want to be. W the idea of sex is a social construct. And then, get the, did you watch the projection going on? They project onto Matt Walsh that he's the one that's in, engaging in reductionistic thinking. He's reducing what a woman is to just uh, some biological factor. And the reality is, you know, Matt Walsh is saying, no, that, that's, that's the determinative factor. It's not, it, it's not everything that encompasses being a woman. There's, uh, th there's cer certain um, ways that women tend to think that are different from men and habits they have and uh, maybe a, a more of a nurturing tendency that they have. And they have, th there's actually so many things we probably don't even think about that uh, are part and parcel to the des design that the template God used when he made women. And he made them different from men. And it comes out, uh, a lot of the romantic comedies bring this out because it is funny. It is, it, the, when men and women live together, they have different ways of living together and thinking. And uh, so it's not that you're reducing it, it's that you're, you're saying that this is, this is the starting point, that there's a different, there's a different chromosome going on. There's something different in the DNA, fundamentally, that divides humans in half. And of course, as you read the Bible, as you understand uh, why those differences are there, you realize there's a different role uh, in, in general. That's uh, for men and a different role for women. Different abilities, different skill sets, all of that. Uh, so it's determinative, not, it's not reductionistic. And, and actually, the, the ones who are reducing are the, uh, the, in this case, transgender activists who are saying that the concept of sex is just a social construct. They're the ones reducing it down to nothing. It's meaningless. It's, they can't even define it. There is no such thing as a woman. It just erases, which is, I think, <laughs> it's, how, how can you have feminists and trans activists work together? Like one saying that we need rights for women, the other saying we don't know what a woman is. But the thing is, they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, as Romans 1 says, because they do know what a woman is, because they, they use the term and they mean something by it, even if they can't define it, because if they were to define it, it would undercut everything that their whole position. They, they know that there is something fundamentally they are trying to copy. There's something in the created order called a woman that God has made that they want to, as Matt Walsh said, appropriate. They want to take that and they want to say that that can be them, even though they, they're not that. They want to say that anyone can be that. I saw a video the other day of a church. I kid you not, it was a church, probably some mainline denomination had a little kid come up, like probably eight years old, who was a boy biologically and said that his pronouns were she and her, and they honored him. They all clapped for him at the church and said that they, how much they 
you know, respect him and all this. I mean, it's child abuse. You're just confusing the kid. And that's because it's not a social construct. It's real. God created it. Okay, uh, let's let's move on. I think I had a few other stories here. Let's see. Oh, it, okay. I gotta be careful with this one. Uh, how how about I change the headline around? Israel study. The fourth um, treatment <laughs> shows limited results with a certain uh, Greek letter that designates a certain malady affecting our culture today, our, our world. <laughs> So read between the lines and you get what I'm saying. Oh, and if you read the article, basically, here, here's the point. Israel's a smaller country. It's easier to uh, get results from Israel. Now, I know that there's a lot of fudging going on in the United States. I know this for a fact. I don't know what's going on in Israel exactly with everything, how they're marking deaths and all that. But I do know this. Uh, it's a smaller country, and they're probably the most or one of the most um, treated places with the first initial and then all the booster treatments. Uh, it's one of the places that has the most of that in the world. And it's a controlled situation because they've foisted it on everyone. And you have people that have gone through this process four times. They've had a needle in them and they still get the uh, malady that they're supposed to be uh, have, have pre prevented. How in the world, I mean, the emperor has no clothes. How in the world are we supposed to think that this treatment, with all the side effects that we're still finding out about, is a good thing when it can't even, after four times, within the span of, what, a year? With it four times getting this, and it, it still won't really protect you. You still got to wear uh, something over your face and all that. All right. So uh, let's get, I think those are all the news stories I wanted to talk about. Let me talk to you briefly. Let me answer some objections. Shall we do that? By the way, I'm drinking coconut water this morning, and uh, this is something I got into recently. For those who want really good natural uh, fitness and uh, natural electrolytes in their drink, coconut water is so good. So there's uh, no one's paying me to say that. It's just I just really like coconut water with pineapple, especially I, straight coconut water. Eh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, let's get into the objections though. This is from the last. Uh, episode that of conversations that matter, which I encourage you to watch. I think some people commenting on some of my posts. I don't know that they watch the whole thing. Not sure. I don't want to judge anyone, but I, some of the questions I, I felt like were answered in that. But you may want to go check that out. And uh, the question that I posed was: uh, Should evangelicals use the definition of race that's the same definition of race that CRT advocates use, which is that race is a social construct, and they go farther and say that it just designates power relationships, but it's a social construct. So uh, I talk about a lot of things, and in that, it, it's very hard to talk about this because I, I think I said you're on a minefield uh, when you even say the word race. But here's the thing. We are talking about critical race theory, okay? The, the word race is right in between critical and theory. They're using the term race. You have to, if, if you're going to interact with those people, that believe that you got to at least understand what they're saying when they what they mean by race you have to understand what they mean by it and so I think this is my opinion I think it's helpful to go back into scripture uh, like we did with with the um, other things like rape you know is where do we see a parallel for the concept we have of rape and you know that's obviously existed for a long time so where do you find it in the Bible what word is the closest approximate 
we, we go back into scripture and we look for things in scripture, okay? So what's the closest approximate? What do we see in scripture? We see nations. We see the word ethnos is the one used a lot in the New Testament to talk about the, the Gentiles or the nations. And we see tribe, tongue, and nation in Revelation. We see the nation of Israel, the special things and the separations that God wanted to make between them and the alien and the sojourner and other nations. We see them going into captivity and still maintaining some kind of a national identity when they didn't have a land or borders. They had a promise that they would have a land, but they weren't in the land and they didn't have their own government and they were still a people. So you, you have all of this. You have a preference that's given. Many of the prophets show a preference for their people, for Israel. You see, Paul has this preference for his people. Is he bigoted? No. He just loves his people and there's nothing wrong with that. And so, and he even says, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He's, there's a genetic component in this. And I'm not prepared to say Paul's a bigot. I know a lot of people now. I mean, Paul, Paul, Paul says all kinds of things. The Apostle Paul that uh, I think are, they're the things that are going to be used when, when, when they come for the Bibles, that's what they're going to come for. It's going to be the Apostle Paul. And it's funny, it, you know, in studying Nazi Germany, which by the way, I got to say, I've taken a class on the Holocaust on the graduate level. I've taken a class on World War II on the graduate level. I've read Mein Kampf. I'm in the middle of reading a, a biography of Hitler right now by John Toland. I'm not saying I know everything about the Nazis and what they thought of race and all of that. I know a little bit though. And, and I'm very much against it. <laughs> and it's very, I, I do think it's very evil. I think what Hitler did, obviously, I mean, it, it should go without saying, but it's very evil. I'm noticing though, an uptick. And I don't know why. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know how I, it, it could be. I, I know I predicted a while ago that the CRT stuff is gonna create a counter reaction. If you start pushing that white people are bad, white people are bad, white people are bad, there's going to be some people that are going to say, hold on, you know, I'm going to push back on this and I'm going to come from the opposite end. White people are good. White people are good. And not only that, but they're superior or something like that. I'm, I'm getting a vibe out there. Very, very small group. I don't know how small. It's very small. It's almost so insignificant in my mind that is it worth talking about? But I'm reminded of something John Weaver had written in, uh, I think it was... Uh, ideas have consequences where he said if things secularize and religion it, it dies in the United States that we're going to go to a European fascism versus communism and I, I do think that we're heading down that road and I don't know what it's going to look like I, I have some thoughts but I, I don't I, they're not fully fledged uh, formed yet in my mind so I do see I, I, I did see a comment on YouTube about basically there was no Holocaust or something like that. And I, I don't know what to say to someone like that, by the way. Yes, there was. We have the primary sources. We have a lot of primary sources on it. Uh, I've read a lot of them. There, there's, it's unquestioned that there, this did happen. And it's also um, something you, you can't honestly at least question the fact that a large part of the motivation for that was this idea that they're genetically, remember, Darwinism, I talked about this in the last podcast, Darwinism makes uh, race, takes that word, a very legitimate word that referred to lineage, and it takes that word and it makes the fundamental characteristic, the determinative, this is really the word you should remember, the determinative characteristic of race is all genetics. That's, it determines everything else. So your genetics are going to determine uh, even... The, the ways in which your culture manifests itself, your religion, all, all, you know, what kind of jobs you have, all of that is, it's all determinative based on genetics. 
which that's called ideology. That's called reducing everything to one thing. Critical race theorists, of course, reduce everything to this abstract concept of power relationships. They're both reductionistic. Both of them do not conform to the world that God made. And so because that term was abused by Darwinists and then used by people like the Nazis most famously to uh, that concept to oppress uh, a certain group of people, actually many groups of people, then it's rejected today by a lot of evangelicals especially. And they don't want to even, I don't want to use that word, it's a bad word, it's, you know, but the word's still used in the broader culture, okay? The word is still uh, used in, by critical race theorists. Literally, that's the word. You got to understand what they mean by it if you want to interact with them. I'm not saying you have to use the word, but you at least have to understand what does Christianity say? What are they saying? What's the difference between the two? And once you understand that, then you can start getting somewhere. But if you avoid the conversation or you're, you know, you freak out if the term's used or if you, um, uh, you want to just agree with them immediately, yes, race is a, a social construct. You just go, you engage in the same reductionistic thinking. Then you're, you're kind of giving them, you're, you're giving them justification for their solutions in their minds. Uh, I know I said this in the last podcast, the battle is over the dictionary. If you buy into the definitions, you buy into the solutions. If you buy into the definitions, you buy into the solutions. If race is just a social construct, that's all it is, nothing else. And it, it, it designates power relationships, but, it, but it, even if you just say it's just a social construct, it's a malleable thing. We can, we can change it, right? That means that all the oppression that's gone on, uh, we can just reverse course through some political action if it's just a social construct. If the way that things are, and there's, there's no providence involved. God's not doing anything. There's uh, groups don't have certain tendencies. Uh, it's just literally the only thing that separates people groups is oppression, power being exerted over them, coercion. That's the only thing. Then you just have to reverse the coercion and coerce the other side. The people that have been doing the coercing need to be coerced. And that, bingo, that's where, that's where you get social justice. We need to redistribute. Take the money, take the platforming, take the power, take the privilege away from this group and give it to this group. If you buy into the definitions, you buy into the solutions generally. So that's why I think this is an important discussion to have. That's one of the reasons. Uh, so let me just go through this. I, I wrote a few notes down um, from the objections. The, one of the objections from, to me that is that we shouldn't use the term race at all. And, and I think I said this, but look, I don't use the term. I use the term people. Uh, in the last podcast, I, I did use the term race because we have to, when we interact with critical race theorists, we have to understand what they mean by it. And if you do that, you have, you're inevitably going to use the term. But no, in general, I, I, don't, I try to avoid it because I, I want to avoid confusion. I use people. There's people groups, different peoples. Is that, is that so controversial? We all believe that. We, no one denies that, that there's different kinds of people out there. Uh, what makes them different, people might ha, you know, quibble about, but we, we can't deny that there's different kinds of people. There's different kinds of, uh, kinds of cuisines even that are associated with them. If I go to an Italian restaurant, I think I'm going to get food that came from a certain region, certain kinds of people, uh, certain uh, lineage that they're from, they're Italian, right? And the more authentic it is, right? I live in New York right now. So the more authentic, you know, you walk in and if it's an Italian restaurant and, you know, everyone in there is Chinese, <laughs> you know, now maybe they still have good pizza. It's very possible, but you wouldn't think it's as authentic. And if there's, you know, pictures on the wall that you would see in a Chinese buffet or something and it's a pizza restaurant, you get the point. There, we all understand that there's this authenticity. There, there's a, there, there is something that's true about certain people groups. 
that's different than other people groups. Now, um, so I don't use the term race, I use the term people most often. But when we're engaging with in apologetics with critical race theorists, we have to understand what they mean by that. So we have to use the term, uh, at least, in, in, and I think it's helpful to open up your Bible, to open up history, to find out what does this term actually mean? So we can find out how they're misusing it and how they're flattening it and all of that. It's a legitimate term, it just means lineage. I went over the whole, I went over the etymology, I went over the history of it in the last episode. I talked about the closest approximates that I find in the Bible. I do find, uh, you know, a sense of that I, I, in Acts 17, in Revelation, throughout the whole pages of the Old Testament. I, you do find that there's there's different people groups. God separates the peoples. There's you, you have nations, but the word ethnos is the one I focused on the most. And that's different than the way ethnic is used today. Ethnicity today, most often people think of when they think of that word, they're thinking, thinking of genetics, they're thinking of skin color, those kinds of things. And uh, there seems to be in, in the biblical sense and in also the way that race has even been used, but in the biblical sense of ethnos, you, you see more, there's, there's culture with it too. It's not just a uh, genetic thing. There's, there's the peoples are in particular locations. They developed ways of uh, traditions and, and all of that kind of thing. They have culture and, and there's a lineage there as well. So you, that's what you have with ethnos most of the time. It, it, it's the nations. So it's, it's a general, it's more general. And the word race is more general too. That's how it was used for hundreds of years before Darwinists ever even used the term. That's how the, it was used. And it's been used that way even up until today. Uh, but yes, Darwinists corrupted the, the term by reducing it, by making one thing the determinative factor. Critical race theorists have done the same thing. And this is what the left does all the time. You gotta understand this, they hijack the language. What did we just see with Matt Walsh and with sex is just a social construct. In 20 years, are Christians going to be saying we don't use the word sex? We can't use it anymore because, well, it's been hijacked by the left. It just it means something that we didn't never intended. I hope not. I hope we can try to hold on to the dictionary. And that's my one of my things. And you don't have to agree with me on this, but I think the left is always going to take our terms, uh, legitimate terms, and corrupt them. Try to fit them into categories that they want. And their goal, their objective is they don't like the creator. They want to be the creators. They want to make the world in their image. So that's why they make so many things abstract and malleable and they can change them and you can identify as this or identify as that. Or uh, it's, it, it, they, they put it into a realm where they can manipulate it in the imaginary world of their heads. It, it's really, you know, the, the difference between realism and idealism comes out in this quite a bit. The leftists are idealists most of the time. They're idealists. So, uh, that being said, um, I don't tend to use the term, but we have to we, we have to try to at least understand what the term means. And I have no problem with someone who does use the term a lot. And when we engage with critical race theorists, we're going to have to navigate that. So I, I don't want to see the dictionary to them. Um, so we have to, so, so in understanding what CRT proponents mean when they use it, uh, I, I think of the term whiteness and I think of the term white privilege. Whiteness, anything that comes from Western culture is whiteness just is. Uh, your decorations in your house, that's whiteness. <laughs> the, the colors you choose to put on your, your walls, whiteness. You know, it's all everything and it's always linked to oppression somehow. Uh, always whiteness. And, and then of course, white privilege is just, that's the genetic component. That's the color of your skin means you have a privilege others don't, even if you're in Appalachia and don't have running water. So they, when they use the term race, that they're talking about something, they're actually denigrating something 
that's legitimate. They're denigrating culture. They're denigrating uh, lineage. Okay, and they're they're saying they're, they're they're making them bad. It's really bad to have these things. To have this to have any kind of Western European culture to be European in your ethnicity. Really bad. And and so that's that's what they mean. Now, of course, they then kick it up to the realm of the imaginative, the abstract, the it's just a social construct. Uh, but then there is something tangible in the real world that they point to to locate it. So you have the option of, of not being those things in some way, of checking your privilege, redistributing things to get justice done and to uh, stop forwarding your oppressive European culture. You have the option to do this. And, uh, and those are the steps you must make to, to bring about social justice. So, so yes, is, is critical race theory inherently contradictory? Yeah, of course it is. Is evolutionary theory inherently contradictory? Yes, of course they are. But, uh, but, but they, they are, when they, when they refer to race, there is something behind that. There's something in the real world that they're using to forward their narrative somewhere. And I don't care what term you use for it necessarily, but that there's a concept there. You gotta figure out what that is. And I, I submit to you that it's culture and it's lineage. That's what they're talking about when they talk about these things. And religion is even part of this. That's part of the culture. That's why you even see in some critical race theory books, Christianity is a, a problem. So um, imagine having, trying to discuss this issue with them without using the term race. You know, what, you would just be so confusing. So I, I just think for practical purposes, even alone, you, you gotta figure out how you're gonna navigate that. Use the term, use it correctly. And then just say, no, those things aren't bad. Lineage isn't bad. God, God made this world, okay? And he made, uh, it's one of the good things he made. And, and there's no lineage that's better than another lineage, but uh, he made lineage. That's something real. He made families, okay? Would we say family is just a social construct? No. Would we say there's um, only one family, the human family? Well, no. We know what someone means when they say that, but uh, there are different families. There's different groups. There's different peoples. So, um, that's one objection I got. We shouldn't use the term race. The other objection, another objection is it's a pointless discussion. That it's just, it's stupid to have this conversation. And I would submit to you, no, it's not. And I think I just gave some reasons for why it's not pointless. Uh, it's, we, we, in order to interact with people that one of their fundamental tenets in life is that race is a social construct. You have to understand what they mean by that. They're building their worldview off of this. So it's not a pointless discussion. Uh, you can introduce them to the creator who didn't make this as a social construct, but actually made it uh, something real, tangible in the real world. And it's part of his, his plan to have all peoples come and worship him at the end of time. Uh, it's, it's part of, do I know all the ins and outs of why God wanted it that way? No, I just know that that's how God created it. And I love the diversity of it, actually. I love the true diversity, not what they talk about. I, I love the fact that there's different peoples. And uh, when I've traveled and, and been around people that are different, it's such, it's an educational experience. It's a, uh, it's a refreshing experience for me. And there's something God likes about that. Uh, there, there's something, it, part of his creation is that. And so I don't think it's pointless to talk about it. Uh, when CRT advocates say um, race is a social construct, they're saying different people groups aren't objective realities in the world. Instead, they're abstract designations that humans artificially produce. Let me repeat that. 
When CRT advocates say race is a social construct, they're saying different people groups aren't objective realities in the world. Instead, they're abstract designations human artificially produce. They're taking away the role of the creator, okay? They're saying you didn't create these differences. You didn't move people groups around. You didn't cause empires to rise and fall. That was human beings and their oppression that caused all of these differences that we see around us. To them, to critical race theorists, Western civilization is whiteness. To them, uh, race, you know, the lineage of European lineage is white privilege. And race traditionally has been a broad concept that includes things like genetics and culture. And it does seem closer to ethnos. I'm not saying there's a parallel there in every way. I'm just saying it seems closer than even the word ethnicity is today. So when you see people like Ken Ham argue against Darwinism, they're they're arguing against a different issue. They're arguing against people who reduce everything to genetics. And they're saying, we're one, we all have the genetics of Adam and Eve. No one's better than anyone else. No one's of a different human worth. And we, that's 100% true, 100%. But that's what they're arguing against. They're not arguing against critical race theorists. And so if you use the same arguments employed against Darwinists, against critical race theorists, then you're going to have a problem because they're not saying the same thing. Uh, when, when people, when Christians deny that there are various races, especially in the minds of a critical race theorist hearing this, uh, or really anyone who uses the term race uh, in any traditional sense of the word, what it sounds like to them is that they're buying into a Darwinist understanding of race that makes genetics determinative, right? Because if you're responding to Darwinist and you're saying, okay, the way you're using the word race, genetics are determinative, they're, no, they're not, it, it, there's one race, it's a human race and worth is conferred through the Imago Dei. If that's the argument you're making and it's a true argument, uh, then it sounds like you're buying into the Darwinist understanding of race. So that's, if you buy into the Darwinist understanding of race and then apply that understanding to critical race theory, and you think critical race theorists are saying that, you're wrong. That's not what critical race theorists are saying. They don't think genetics is determinative. They think it's power, it's social power. So I don't like seeding the dictionary to them. Um, many ministries do actually say race is a social construct. Uh, and I do have examples. I don't want to get people it's not the point. I don't want to talk about these ministries because they're doing some really good work in many ways, but I, th I think it's not a pointless discussion. It's not a pointless discussion. Um, what if someone were to say sex is not a social construct either? And we saw examples of that. Uh, there's a corrupted definition there. Would we say 30 years from now? Well, it's a pointless discussion. I hope not. The, the definitions, like I said, drive the solutions. So there's also uh, an objection I got, just an aversion to the word race. There's no such thing as race because, and a number of people told me this, uh, there's four different objections I got for there's no such thing as race because different races can have children. Okay, short people and tall people can get together and have children. Is there no such thing as short and tall? Uh, different pe people of different religions have gotten together and had children. Does that mean those religions aren't, don't exist? Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot, there, we can go down a long list of things, of characteristics that are identifiable in the real world that uh, don't prevent people from getting together and having kids. And we wouldn't say they're not real distinctions. So that, that's a, it's a weird argument to me. I think what someone's trying to say, that, that this is an evolutionary thing. Again, they're, they're, they're still on the evolution track in their mind and they're thinking like, well, different kinds are able to have children together. And so maybe favoring the word kind over the word race. I don't know. But um, it, it, that, someone I think who's saying this is thinking that race means it's something so different. So 
uh, one race to another race is, is so earth shatteringly different. Like they evolve from different areas, like early Darwinists believe or something that there is no commonality between them. That's just not the case. Uh, that's just not the Bible teaches that we all came from Adam and Eve. We're all of equal worth. We all have the Imago Dei. Uh, so there's, you know, I don't know. Some of my, look, my, some of my best friends that I have so much in common with are probably very, a lot farther in their genetics than I am, uh, to me, than I am with certain people that have closer genetics to me that I'm not close with. A secularist, atheistic, you know, college professor who might be my cousin or something, I have way less in common with them than I do um, some of my really good friends that are from places like Kenya uh, or, you know, uh, black Americans or uh, even some of the members of my family who are Hispanic. Uh, we share more in common, mostly because of our Christianity, but also because of uh, maybe we have uh, similar values and similar cultures in a way. Actually, my friend from Kenya, who I'm very good friends with, uh, in some ways he's, I mean, he likes drinking tea and stuff. He's, there's a British thing going on there. I don't know where that came in, but you know, we have, there's certain things we have in common. We, we, we have shared interests and hobbies and the, human relationships are complex. And anyone who would say like, you know, the only thing that's determinative is genetics, like a Darwinist, is just an idiot uh, or, or they're evil. They're both possibly. And, and so, yeah, we reject that, obviously, but that's, again, critical race theorists, they're not saying that when they say race is a social construct. They're not saying genetics is determinative. So any objection we would, I know I'm beating a dead horse with this, but I, I think that we've had it beaten into us so much that I have to repeat it. Any objection that we would give to Darwinism isn't going to be sufficient for critical race theory. So, of course, different, um, different peoples can have children. Uh, humans all worship God equally. Um, is another thing. So there's no such thing as race because humans all worship God equally. So you, I mean, you could say there's no such thing as sex either because males and females worship God equally. So they, sex just doesn't exist. That doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, all humans are of equal worth. So there's no such thing as race because all humans are of equal worth. Agreed. Uh, yes, of course. Of course they are. Uh, but again, people, genders, different genders are also of equal worth before God. That doesn't mean that they, they don't exist, that there's no such thing as a man or a woman. Like if all these arguments could be used to push the transgender narrative, you probably don't want to use them. Um, there's no such thing as race because it's been used to oppress people. Now, this is an interesting one to me because I think this, this is the emotional thing. These, these are the images that come up. And I think this is the main aversion people have to using the term. They think, think the Holocaust, uh, they might think segregation. They might, there's, there's a whole long list of things in their minds when the term race comes up and they immediately like, can't go there. We can't talk about that. But you have a, an ungodly ideology that's taking captive people that's using the term. So this creates a dilemma. So I think um, when it comes to this objection, first thing to note is a lot of things have been used to oppress people. Borders have been used to oppress people. Differences on location where people live, right? Does that mean that we don't have a location we live in? No. Differences in sex have been used to oppress people. Does that mean there's no such thing as sex? No. Differences in disability status and mental ability, those have been used to oppress people. Does that mean there are no people with different mental abilities or disabilities? No. The unborn, right? Abortion. Uh, people uh, taking advantage of humans because they're unborn. Does that mean there's no such thing as a baby? Yikes, right? No, of course there is. Um, vaccinated status, right? 
uh, that's being used to oppress people. So should we just never talk about it or it's, it, there's no such thing as a vaccinated person? Differences in religion. Should we say there's no such thing as religion because it's been used to oppress people? No, all these things exist in the real world. So it's, it's a bad argument, but it's an understandably emotional one in my mind. Uh, and, and so because these things, I think, are very, in the memories of our grandparents, especially thinking about Nazi Germany, because the term um, race and because differences, an evolutionary Darwinist understanding of that was used as a pretext to murder millions of people. I think that that's part of the aversion people have. And people also are having, starting to have a, a big aversion to just even national boundaries. And apparently not when it comes to Ukraine, but in the United States and in, in Western countries, a lot of you know more, more Western countries, I, I guess, like England, there's, there seems to be that aversion that these are things that are used to oppress. Wars are started over borders, so we shouldn't have borders. That's, that's the line of logic you're going to go down. No, we just we recognize what's real in the real world. There are different kinds of people groups. They're different. There's borders. There's locations people live in. There's all the things I just mentioned. Those things exist, and we shouldn't use them to uh, for the sake of oppression. We shouldn't use those realities to then say, "Well, my location's better than your location, or my my group's better than your group." Or you, I, I've said this before. You can love your own family, your own group, your own location, your own whatever. You can love that without hating others. It is possible. Paul, I think, was able to do it. He was able to love his own kinsmen according to the flesh without hating everyone else. He was an apostle to the Gentiles, for crying out loud. He loved them. Didn't hate them. But he also loved, he had a special love for his kinsmen. All right, there's only um, one human race. And to say there's multiple human races makes you a racist. This is one, one of the objections that I, I just, I don't know, it's a conversation ender. It's like, okay, <laughs> Uh, yes, there is. It's true that there is one human race. Absolutely. In fact, in the, even in the 19th century, that term, the fact, the idea that there was a human race was used quite a bit. It was used throughout the whole history of the term race, that there is one human race. And there's people also spoke of it as there are different human races as well, that both terms were used. That's why I say race is, it's a looser term than the people who reduce it in Darwinism or in CRT want to make it. It's a looser term. And then, of course, uh, a big one. Race is a term for skin color. I keep hearing that one. I asked someone for a definition of this. I can't find any definition of this. I don't. I think this is just coming from a reductionistic evolutionary understanding again, that that's the biggest identifying mark of a determinative genetic condition, that you can determine genetics by looking at things like skin tone or the way noses are shaped or whatever. Uh, you know, the Nazis used to have these, you know, these charts or whatever. And... Um, and, and so the, the people are imposing their own definition of race, which seems to be more of an evolutionary corruption of the term, uh, saying that it's just skin color. No, it's not. It, and I don't think, I, I haven't seen any definition that says it's just skin color. Uh, no, it's, it's more than that. Um, and then, uh, so those are the main objections. Overall, um, I guess what I want to say to wrap this up is we are responding to critical race theory. They think of genetics, they think of lineage, they think of culture when they're talking about Europeans. And to engage with them, we have to understand what they mean by that. We're going to have to use the term a little bit just to get their understanding and to be able to talk to them. And then we have to do the hard work of going into scripture and seeing what parallels their understanding. Uh, where are they wrong? Where are, you know, what, what's the reality in the real world? 
not what are the concepts in our head and the different terms we use. That that there's semantics come out here. The goal of all of us should be reason, scripture, not in that order necessarily, but scripture, reason. That should be the goal. What does scripture say? What does scripture say about reality? And then uh, let's let's reason through this false religion that's coming down the pike that makes an idol out of race, that makes an idol out of um, the race as a social construct and then sees everything as some difference between oppression that we can as humans, all powerful human gods apparently, correct through some kind of a redistribution scheme. Sorry, you're just not going to do it. And your solutions are going to be bad if that's the way you think of it, if that's what you think race actually is. So that's that's my, my thoughts. Uh, those are my so- thoughts on some of the objections that I've received from this. I, I don't plan to talk about this a lot. Uh, I, in fact, I, I may not talk about it much more. But I, I do think it's important, at the very least, to um, to open up this discussion. And again, if you have resources or whatever, you can, you know, I, I'm more than open to hearing uh, even other objections or just resources. I mean, that's really what I was more asking for in the last episode. I think one person sent me one book. Most people were just giving me their opinion of why I shouldn't use the term race or something. But um, I, I, I think I think we have to, to at least breach this topic. And for people to then come out and say you're a racist because you're even trying to engage with critical race theorists, you're trying to open your Bible and faithfully figure out what things mean. There's no hatred in your heart for anyone else. You're not reducing everything to genetics. You're not into de- genetic determinism. You're not, you know, to, to say that someone who does that is a racist, which is the fear people have, is we, we just push back on it. We just say, no, it's not. <laughs> you're, in fact, maybe you're the one that's being insensitive. Maybe you're the one that's being a bully. Maybe you're, you know, if, if people are going to just start throwing out name calls and slurs just because you're trying to understand and you're on a, a journey to understand what the scripture has to say, what what exists in the real world. Uh, that that shouldn't be. That's an enterprise. And again, that used to be the academic enterprise. It used to be something that you're you're able to ask questions, explore things, um, have you know, engage productively with different viewpoints. And now I think we have, as Jordan Peterson said, there's an orthodoxy. You are not allowed to disagree on some things. The definition of race belongs now to the critical race theorists, and you are not allowed to argue in any deviation from what they say is makes you a racist. If you think it's not a social construct, if you think that there was a previous definition, uh, or, or like the real definition that they've corrupted, then you're a racist. If you open your Bible and you, you think that, and, and you see differences in the way that God interacts with people groups and his providence and uh, redemption and everything that's going on, and that's a real world thing, and it's not something that exists in the abstract mind and is just a result of power disparities and stuff, you're not a racist. And, and this is one of the, the big stumbling blocks we have got to get over in conservative evangelicalism is the fear of being called these words. We've got to be unafraid to open our Bibles, okay, and talk about this stuff. And, uh, and, and in my mind, look, I was raised, I'll just tell you briefly in closing, this is how I was raised about all this stuff. I was raised, um, and I'll, I'll incorporate one question I had about colorblindness into this. I was raised to uh, to judge people, if or assess people based on who they are as people, their character, right? Not the color of their skin. To take a famous line from the MLK. I mean, my dad even had a bumper sticker uh, that he. I think after Obama was elected, he said, "I voted on content of character." That was the way I was raised. I, I didn't. I, I had friends from every every kind of different you know lineage i 
didn't think about it. I mean, I grew up um, in, in a in an area too. The the quote unquote white people, according to critical race theorists, that would have been there were mostly Italians and some Irish people and stuff. Which I am really neither. I have a little Irish in me, but uh, we we moved from a different area. I mean, I I know a, a slightly, slightly, not not to the extent others know, but I know slightly what it's like to kind of be in an area where, you know, you're people are, are different than your family in some ways. I mean, I, I was, I remember my parents, you know, really trying hard to make sure I didn't get that New York accent. <laughs> they didn't want me to have that. Was that bigoted of them? I don't think so. I think they, they just wanted to retain, uh, they, they had, they thought, you know, there was a correct pronunciation and they were from California. And so, you know, I, th there's nothing wrong with that. And, and we had things that made us who we are. We knew, we, I knew that there was something unique about me. Uh, being a member of the family I was part of, and that that family had moved to the area. We weren't from that area. Uh, we had, you know, we liked a lot of Mexican food. They didn't have it when we first moved there. Uh, and, and throughout the 90s, I mean, now they do more, but in, in this area, no, there, there weren't, there still aren't great Mexican restaurants, just so everyone knows. You have good Italian food here, but you do not have good Mexican food. And, you know, Southern Californians like their Mexican food. So uh, anyway, I don't want to wax long about this, but my parents just, you know, they, they taught me not to you know, some parents will say they're proud of their kids. Their kids don't see color. And I know what they mean by that, uh, that they, they're not looking at people and condemning them or uh, treating them differently because of their skin color. And that's exactly how I was raised. And that's exactly how I am today. I, I literally don't. I, 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 um, at the same time, I, I do believe that some of the things I even just described about my family, there are differences between people groups. And those are, some of those are very precious differences. And they, they do have to do with traditions. And uh, when I was going, I know I told the story last time a little bit, but, you know, a black church in Virginia I went to, historically black, they have a, a different way of even doing songs and uh, preaching and all that. And there's something precious about it. And I would never want to come in there and say, well, you need to conform to me. You need to make sure that, you know, you're doing it the way that I like, I like it done or something. You know, and I, I, truth is I like it done the way they like, they, they do it. But Let's say I didn't, and I wanted everyone to conform, and you need to sing these hymns. You know, come on, come on. No, that's what gives life flavor. And so I can appreciate those things. And, uh, but when it comes to assessing character, uh, a person's worth, all the, of course, of course we're colorblind. So when critical race theorists say that you can't be colorblind, you have to see color, the only reason they say that is because they want you to recognize someone's privilege and uh, they, they want you, well they want you to it's the standpoint theory thing they want you to recognize who you should listen to so if someone let's say has darker skin complexion then they on the intersectionality chart you need to listen to them because they they're going to have insights you don't have right that's why you have to you can't be colorblind the other thing is you got to know who to redistribute uh, redistribute resources to so uh, if you're trying to diversify your elder board or something at church you need to redistribute positions you need to have people of color come in and have those positions just on the basis of, you know, their, their people of color. Well, that's judging someone based on their skin color. Okay. That's the opposite of the way I was raised. And so it's not natural to me. Um, interracial relationships, right? People marrying uh, people that aren't part of their racial group necessarily. Um, sometimes there's challenges with that. There's cultural challenges and things, but a lot of my best friends are part of, uh, you know, marriages like that and they work hard for, for their children that their children know exactly who they are and and the main thing is you know you're you're part of whatever the last name you're part of our family if you have a really good family identity and a christianity being part of that that we we follow jesus these are jesus's rules then your, your kids even if you know they're 
whatever you want to call it, mixed race, or whatever, they'll, that, that's the important thing. That's the primary thing to focus on. Uh, you, can, you can have, you know, as the Darwinists and the, uh, you know, the, the Nazis would have been like this more, you know, this pu trying to get a pure blood and stuff. Yeah, sure, good, good, go for it, right? Get your pure blood, and then you know, watch your kids reject everything that you believe when they grow up and go down a horrible path. You know, it's the the thing that's always been important to me. This is how I was raised. This is what I think today. Is are they Christians? That's the first question you ask. Uh, if you let's say, if you're a, a European person uh, of some European descent, let's say you're Scottish descent. All right, I have a lot of Scottish in me. And uh, you get married to someone who's from Russia, grew up there. English is their second language. Guess what? There's probably going to be a lot of differences between you and them, a lot more differences than there would be between you and someone next door who happens to be Hispanic. Uh, but they grew up in the same area you did, go to the same church, all that. So it's more complicated than the people who want to reduce everything to one thing try to make it out to be. And the, the quest should always be, what's going to make a successful marriage, a godly marriage uh, for our kids, for, um, for generations down the road? I mean, Proverbs tells us, think about generations down the road. You know, think about the family that you're, you're marrying into. Uh, you know, think about, you know, and, and you can't say this now because this term is bad, but there, there used to be a sense in which people would talk about breeding and they didn't mean, they didn't mean genetics or at least they didn't solely mean genetics. They, they meant uh, a person was of good breeding or something, good stock, you know, good something like, you know, the, they, they had good manners. They had good, uh, you know, their families had really raised them well. And, and so y you do want to look at those things and you do want to make sure your family, you're raising them well. And it's perfectly, you know, I don't know, people, I just, I just think people, when they try to interact with critical race theory, they're, they're so afraid that, they're going to walk into some kind of mine where they are going to be pigeonholed into supporting segregation or supporting something that, that you know, they know that, that they have an aversion to that's wrong, that, you know, that kind of thing. Or they're in favor of the Holocaust or something like that. And it's like, no, no, that, that's just what bullies do. That's what bullies do, that kind of thing. They try to make you to sound that way. Uh, you can recognize the, the world God created. You can appreciate and love the world God created. And you can even love your own, like Paul did. And it doesn't make you a bigot or a hater or any of those things. And so those are just some of my thoughts on this topic. I could probably go long, but I'm rambling at this point. And it already is a long podcast. I hope that answers some of the questions people had uh, about this topic. Because I know, yeah, it's, it's a complicated thing. I know it's hard. There are so many uh, definitions and terms and all that. But to simplify it and, and to bring it all together, we want to conform our thinking to the biblical categories. We don't want to bring in categories from anti-biblical worldviews that uh, seek to undermine what the Bible says, and that should be the goal of all of us. He weighed from one man and one woman, all of us, all equal of human worth. He separated the peoples, different traditions, habits, all of those things, lineage. And one day he's going to bring them all together, and they're going to worship him with their distinctions. And that's important to him. I don't know all the reasons why, but it is. And so we just, uh, we, we praise God, the God that created this. We praise the God that w we worship the God that made this. And we, we operate by his um, ordained plan, by his providence. That's the world we live in. We just, we, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things that was maybe an issue with uh, the segregation stuff is, you know, God has a plan. 
he's going to bring people groups together. He's going to create new people groups sometimes. That takes generations to do, generally. You know, Abraham, right? Father of many nations. But Abraham wasn't many nations. He's just the father of many nations because it took time to develop to get these many nations. So, you know, God, God that's his providence. That's what he does. And, uh, and, and he made a world that's not very boring. It's very interesting. And that's the world that I live in. And I want to live in. And I want to live it in a, such a terrible way of just thinking about power relationships the whole time or genetics and reducing everything to these kind of things. No, there's it's a big, wide world out there. That's the world God created. That's the world my God created. And, uh, and so, um, so that, that's, that's, that's my closing thought here. And when we engage these false worldviews, we need to, we need to do it on their terms. We need to use, understand at least their terms, but we do it um, understanding what the Bible teaches about what they're trying to say. Okay. All right. Well, God bless. More coming later this week. Uh, I think tomorrow there's a big thing I have on uh, Thibidi Anabwile, this, this panel he was on where with a, basically an LGBTQ and a trans activist. And, uh, well, let's just say his uh, reaction to those things, pretty disappointing. Um, so stay tuned for that uh, and, and uh, more episodes. Uh, I would love to see you if you're coming out to Kentucky, you're coming out to Tennessee. We'd love to see you there. God bless. Bye now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.